Welcome to Crush and Disappointment. In this episode, I'm chatting to Josh about his crush on Rachel Stevens. And as I didn't really do an introduction in the episode, I'll do that now. So Rachel Stevens was a member of S Club 7, a British pop group which existed between 1998 and 2003. They had four number one hits, Bring It All Back, Never Had a Dream Come True, Don't Stop Moving, and Have You Ever. My personal favourites, Reach and S Club Party, only made it to number two. Well, not only, number two is still really impressive. Then, when Rachel went solo, she released Sweet Dreams by LAX in 2003. That was also number two, as was Some Girls from 2004. My personal favourite, Funky Dory, only made it to number 26. So I don't know what was going on with the British public then, because that is a tune. Listening back to this episode... I notice that I say vindictive and vitriolic quite a lot. I think they must have been my words of the day. But having Googled their definitions, I don't think I was using them correctly. So vindictive is having or showing a strong or unreasoning desire for revenge. I definitely wasn't talking about revenge. Vitriolic, filled with bitter criticism or malice. I guess that's closer to what I was trying to go for, but I think the actual word I'm looking for was malicious. Having or showing hatred and a desire to harm somebody or hurt their feelings. And just to, just to break that down, hateful is arousing, deserving of, or filled with hatred. And hatred is intense dislike. So if ever you hear vindictive or vitriolic, I mean, it sort of undermines my points whenever I say them because I'm not using them correctly. But just replace that in your head with malicious. I guess in terms of those words, actually, I'm using them mostly in context of we briefly talk about when Joe, another member of S Club 7, went on Celebrity Big Brother, and she, along with predominantly Jade Goody, racially bullied Shil Pachetti. We only sort of talk about one very specific minor angle of that incident, because I don't feel like Josh and I were best equipped to really break it down, but obviously there's stuff online, but I just didn't want to feel like we were ignoring that. Um, oh, and when Josh and I recorded this, it was on a weekday, and it was pretty late, and we were both kind of shattered, so most of my edits were just taking out bits where Josh and I talk about being tired, so if we're not making sense, or if we sound a bit uninfused, that would be why. Um, so on that, I'm sure that's got you pumped for the episode, so here we go. Here's the crush. What was your first memory of Rachel Stevens, or do you have a first memory? I think... My answers out would probably have to be my first memory of S Club 7. <laughs> but my, I suppose one of my earliest memories of hearing S Club would probably be a school disco. Or the those occasional assemblies where they treat you by <laughs> 30 seconds of popular music. Uh, then regret it the entire day because apparently it gave us a funny mood. But um, yeah, it must have been a school disco when I was about six or seven. I'm sure if I I'm sure if I search this, Escler probably hadn't been even informed <laughs> by then. But you know, this is my memory, and I will edit it as I see fits. <laughs> yeah, so that was my first exposure to them. And obviously, their songs and they were very popular as a kid. They're always on TV. I think through S Club, I sort of had this awakening. Far too early to be a sexual awakening. <laughs> I think it was more. Of an awakening to popular culture. I mean, talking about S Club as being the the height of culture and music 
nowadays seems well it's laughable <laughs> um but yeah so i used to watch that they, they had i mean they had a hit film mm-hmm. i use hit in the loosest sense seeing double was that what it was called yeah well did you not watch the, TV what was the one about the bus i don't know they had a tv show which each one was called after like i guess someone in, in the u.s there was like miami seven yeah. la seven yeah yeah i watched that i watched that religiously yeah, so these S Club 7 TV shows, you kind of, obviously it was, it was completely constructed. It must have been like the Towie made in Chelsea of the time and it kind of, it was meant to be kind of reality but it was dramatised mm-hmm. of their like road trips and their tours. Yeah, so you kind of got introduced to all the characters and they secured their own places within the S Club hierarchy. They all had their own roles, their own petty romances and things. And also there's a bit of escapism. I mean, they went to these places that back then I could never even dream of going to. Miami and... and did they do one in Spain as well? And, yeah, I think so. From, yeah. I think the last one they did in Spain, maybe. I mean, Spain's obviously somewhere I went to as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't that poor. Uh, but um, Miami and America were certainly these far-off places that I had so much exposure to and really like, yearned to go to. I mean, they still are. Mm. Yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of escapism for me as well. But I'm not really sure what it was about Rachel Stevens that always stuck with me. Well, she was the one who had the career afterwards, the one that exactly. everyone seems to talk about. But I've never quite understood her appeal. I think she was... I mean, you don't really get them anymore nowadays, but very few of those pop groups, like Steps, for example, mm. and that terrible one that did Eurovision and sang that song about fast food. I can't remember what they were called. And they were very much targeted at kids, mm-hmm. pre-teens. You don't really get that so much nowadays. But when you did, it was always, you know, it was, it was family friendly. They always played it safe. But there was something about Rachel that she was always rather, it was always quite sexy. She was always, there was, or she always had a sex appeal. Even someone like me and what I would eventually turn out to be, <laughs> <laughs> even someone like me at that age could identify it. And so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if lots of people my age had a similar sort of awakening I mean they weren't really going to get the same from Joe or Hannah <laughs> I mean maybe Tina but I'll come on to Tina later because mm. I have some news about Tina but yeah so that was it I think Rachel was was when I first started to to see things as as sexy and like attractive and desirable obviously I'd later come to, to realise that maybe those feelings were a bit misplaced <laughs> I mean, that didn't really answer your question of what my first memory of, but that's certainly what I felt the first time I experienced the S Club 7. But the S Club 7. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting what you say with her being like the, the sexier one, and they kind of amped that up once she left S Club 7. Oh, yeah, it, was her, it was her selling point. I mean, you always knew she was going to go further. As soon as Paul Catamol left, you knew he was basically dead to the world. <laughs> like, he was never going to have a career after he left. Paul was my favourite. Of course he was. But I mean, it was on a pure like identification level because he was like a brunette white guy whose <laughs> name was Paul and my middle name is Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and that was all it really took for me to, because I wasn't like engaging with any of them sexually. I think maybe I had the same sort of like relatability with Rachel. She was attractive and fabulous. <laughs> and so was I. But I remember I, so when she went through I mean, you're saying it was always there if it wasn't so much a transition of her becoming more sexual. I remember 
people in my school being much more into her. But, oh, I, yeah. was, but I was sort of, um, I don't know, I was always embarrassed of having liked S Club. <laughs> like, it was always, because like, I guess when you're a kid, the things that are cool change so rapidly. Mm. And what was okay to like one week is suddenly not okay. Yeah, like Beybades and Yo-Yo Splatballs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because I had that embarrassment associated with S Club, I could never allow myself to like Rachel Stevens and I could never disassociate her with, from that feeling of, I think I had the same thing with Matt Baker and Blue Peter. <laughs> like, I can't stand Matt Baker. You see, I liked him in Blue Peter. Now he's on Countryfile and spouting his bile about, you know, Countryside Alliance. I just can't, I can't like him anymore. But yeah, back to Rachel Stevens. I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I disagree. I don't think she was ever that Tamagotchi style fad. Mm. What she did with her, solo career and her reinvention well she took what was already there and was maybe a bit rebellious against the whole the rest of the S Club image and really ran with it I mean Sweet Dreams by LAX obvious sexual references Mm -hmm. it was quite clear I mean even the audience she began with hadn't really grown up enough to to appreciate it Mm -hmm. but I think yeah it was very much clear that she she was all grown up this is for grown up audiences and Sweet Dreams by LAX is I, I say it's one of those anthems. I mean, you hear it every so often in, in somewhere like Heaven, mm-hmm. some really badly dressed drag queen lip syncing <laughs> to it. But it is, it's still a sexy song and it mm-hmm. will, what everyone will remember Rachel from, Rachel for. Mm-hmm. She's not necessarily Rachel from S Club. She's Rachel Stevens. Mm-hmm. And that music video was sexy, but it wasn't. Oh, is it, I don't want to sound prudish, but kind of like how today it feels like it's much more overtly sexual. Oh, yeah. I think Miley Cyrus. Yeah. yeah. Like, and this was much more... Wasn't she like wrapped up in like long... She was, yeah. Like, it's like the less you saw of her, the more you wanted to see. It mm. was... I, she had a bit of class to it. I mean, even, even though it was a pile of trash, but <laughs> there was... Yeah, there was some class to it. She... If I remember, she had that... Yeah, it was like this big flowing red... Uh, silk was it bondage inspired yeah, I guess actually yeah and then you like, had that like red leather as well mm. uh, maybe maybe that was just maybe that was just the time I mean this was nearly 20 years ago if you think about it mm. and how sex and sexuality and female sexuality was treated back then is really a far cry from now I mean Rachel kind of did although the song might seem empowering I think she still made herself into somewhat of a sexual object an object of desire Whereas today in the music videos, you get the, the, like I mentioned, Miley Cyrus, she seems somewhat in control of her sexuality. She understands the power she has with it. Of course, that's coming from a cis white man. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. I don't know. I don't know. I think Miley Cyrus, I don't know, <laughs> abuses black iconography in a really gross way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Miley Cyrus appropriating black culture and then Katy Perry recently well actually Katie Berry from the beginning of her, her like mainstream career at least appropriating LGBT culture well actually so we've got a very beautiful segue to, to <laughs> it. we're so Sweet Dreams My LAX and I Kissed a Girl Kathy Dennis wrote both of those songs wow and, and originally and she also wrote um, Toxic for Britney Spears see that there's there's songs that I really do class in I, in the same category. I mean, Toxic was one that I was going to bring up as well. So overtly female sexual song that kind of, I don't know, it empowered, aroused everybody. Mm-hmm. Toxic, again, is one of those, it's still an anthem. It's still maybe in somewhat camp fashion. has been adopted as this this anthem of a time and of a, a look and, and feeling. It was Sweet Dreams My LAX was originally written for Britney Spears to be a reply to 
Cry Me River by Justin Timberlake. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to how Rachel, you always, even in S Club times, and this isn't me looking back retrospectively, just while she was part of S Club, you always saw her as being a bit better than the rest of them and <laughs> the other six. So yeah, Paul Casimir went off and did nothing. But Rachel was like, it's what I guess it's what people thought about Harry Styles when One Direction was formed. Mm. You know, Harry Styles was always the character, always the one that was going to go a bit further. It was probably because he had that sex appeal, mm. even though he was, uh, you know, he was part of this boyish group with a little more than children when they started. He always sort of had that. Mm. Um, and then he kind of took that forward. And then, of course, you had the, the curveball that was Zayn Malik and his, he really took on a bad boy image for his solo career. Mm. Whereas Rachel, it didn't seem forced. That's what I'll give. That, like To her credit, it was almost as though she was allowed to be her authentic self in a solo career, mm. which sounds really terrible. Um, and it's what people used to say about Robbie. Probably still do. Robbie Williams, is, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, to take that fame. <laughs> but I mean, she, watching the music video or like the, the TV shows, like Rachel was never particularly central. Like Joe was probably the main singer if there was one. Yeah. Joe was like the natural leader of the gang. And so I think her role, I think maybe artificially she was made, she was put in the lead because it suited her role within this constructed like narrative that, around the show and stuff. But looking back, I mean, no offense to Joe, but I don't think she was ever the strong, she was never the strongest of the, of the vocals. But were any of them particularly vocally good though? I mean, well, I, none of them have voices that stand out to me. <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. But I don't think it really needed to be. That wasn't what S Club were about. I don't know, like, as I'm saying, I don't, I still don't understand her appeal really. She's like, I don't recall her having like the witty lines or the sexy remarks. She was just kind of She was, there, a, she was just quite a bad, she was never, like Rachel Stevens was never the Rachel from Friends in that she didn't really have her own, you know, her own stuff going on, her own relationship, her own depth of character in that sense. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you don't need to have a conversation with a Venus de Milo to know that it's a wonderful work of art. <laughs> and I guess that's what Rachel Stevens is. But again, I think I've just inadvertently objectified <laughs> Rachel Stevens, which was, you know, how this conversation was going to go. Mm-hmm. But did she... So you say it's at school you remember hearing them at a disco and that was perhaps your first interaction with this song. Was S Club a phenomenon at your school and was the appreciation of Rachel a phenomenon? I think everyone had their favourite, didn't they? Mm-hmm. So they like sort of picked their own deity from the S Club pantheon to worship, <laughs> like and dress like and be like. Like most of the boys wanted to be more like Bradley because he was cool and black, which was quite a novelty back then. I mean, no one wanted to be Paul Casimir because he was a traitor and left. <laughs> Paul was definitely my favourite. <laughs> yeah, no one normal wanted to be Paul Casimir. And then John, I think everyone sort of suspected there was something up with John. <laughs> <laughs> I always doesn't he always get confused with H? I think yeah, he does. Yeah, it's kind of what they both on the same celebrity Big Brother, <laughs> or or if I just confuse the two again? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, speaking of Big Brother, Joe was on Big Brother and pretty much ruined her public image by mm. getting all racist with Jay Goody. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, I mean, I was going to come on to Esclam where they'd been late and how Rachel had this career where she was able to redefine herself as being sexy, but then. No one else really, as far as my understanding. I mean, Hannah was in Prime Evil on ITV One. Yeah, she's currently now 
starring. She's going to star in EastEnders. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. I but Joe just had a kamikaze experience on that Big Brother because it, it was so overtly. It was just racist bullying. Yeah. And I remember we had a school assembly about it. It was seen as being such like a cultural. I mean, I'm sure like Ofcom. It certainly got had a huge number of complaints. I don't know if it was still the most complained thing about ever. And I guess on social media now, people aren't very good at allowing people to grow like, and understanding that people had shitty opinions and perhaps have been able to get better. But for me personally, I still don't want anything to do with Joe or whatever she was to put out because she was so vindictive. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there are kind of two layers to this issue. Firstly, is that she was allowed to say whatever she liked and reveal that she was actually just a terrible or rather flawed human being like the rest of us, which mm-hmm. most celebrities, they're too surrounded by you know, these these managers and producers to ever reveal their just appalling inner selves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also it happened at a time when there was increased cultural sensitivity mm-hmm. and it, there was still a lot of scars, I think, and, and a lot of pain. I mean, there still is today. But you were saying how now celebrities can't really make up for things they've tweeted in the past. You had Stormzy, for example, I think someone had picked up some of his tweets from maybe 10 years ago, so he would have been... Stormzy's younger than me. Mm. I didn't realise that. Anyway, from like 10 years ago, uh, and he tweeted something that was... It was homophobic, but let's face it, 10 years ago maybe people were using this language just on the street and no one would really bat an eyelid. But... Not to say that that's right, but his response was he has, you know, he's grown, he's matured since then and now knows that stuff he said is harmful and is appalling and he would never say it again. Mm. And I think it it made him a lot more authentic and a lot more likable to see him with those flaws and to see him grow. Mm. But I don't think you ever really were allowed that with Joe because what uh, the the stories in the newspapers and the tabloids that, that were selling were about you know, her being this bully and being horrible. Mm. And so the machine that at one stage made her famous was now making money off completely destroying her career. And and that links to the idea of, I guess, art from artist. And with the height of, (laughs) with with the height of like Me Too, that's very much a conversation that's a part, that's in the culture at the moment. Yeah. And my understanding from, I don't know, a decade ago was I feel like I was taught to separate the two. Oh yeah. And, and now the, death case- of the, the, the author is dead. I say, so this is Foucault, isn't it? It's, I, I believe it's Bart. <laughs> <laughs> I want that edited out to make me sound smart. <laughs> but um, that now doesn't seem to be the case. So, like Kevin Spacey getting erased from his films, yeah. Or so, as both of us have been, well, perhaps been or are Smiths fans. How do you as a <laughs> how do you as a Morrissey fan? <laughs> Why am I now a Morrissey fan? <laughs> well, you are Morrissey. I, I, yes, I am a Morrissey fan. Yes, I'm saying, so how do you navigate that space? I enjoy his music, but not his political <laughs> beliefs. And do you find it easy to keep those two things separate? I do, yes. Even though he just, like, his most recent album really does try to ram it home. <laughs> but he's he's almost like one of those harmless... He's just, you don't want to say harmless because there's kind of no such thing, especially nowadays. Anyone in that position of power well, position of influence, Mm -hmm. who is saying just harmful things uh, and and things that can be very construed as very hurtful. Mm -hmm. They should be held accountable. I think Morrissey, though, is one of those people, it's kind of a bit like your nan. You kind of just expect them to say it and just roll your eyes and shrug it off. Mm. 
So in that sense, he has no real influence and power. But you look at someone like, I was a massive Kevin Spacey fan. He was kind of like an idol of mine. I am, for a present, uh, a couple of years ago, I was bought Kevin Spacey's (laughs) acting masterclass. Uh, It's like this online video tutorial. Uh, I highly recommend it. Not the Kevin Spacey one. I, they since, they let me transfer to another one. What, who, who did? The masterclass people. So you, you, as a result of... I emailed them to say that I found it distressing that Kevin Spacey was on my computer screen telling me what to do and how to act. And that I would like to be transferred over to someone else. So I chose Woody Allen's best friend, <laughs> David Mamet. Uh, but no, I, I, I would recommend them. But yeah, I think you, look, you can look back at, at Kevin Spacey's films. Yes, he was a good actor. Mm-hmm. He was good at what he did. But then you think how he got those roles, mm-hmm. what he was doing during that time, uh, what that role had allowed him to do so that the money, the influence, the power, the role had given him, which he then abused uh, in order to, to better word, he, I mean, he, he raped, he raped people. He raped an underage boy. And in some respect, his role uh, and getting that part allowed him to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, that's how I separate the two. Whereas someone like Morrissey, you can say backwards, stupid things, and everyone's like, oh, typical Morrissey. Um, but does he, does he not give people who are Morrissey fans who agree with him, does he not give them sort of the right to go forward and espouse these shitty opinions? But again, they're still just Morrissey fans who agree with Morrissey. I mean, what do they, uh, what are they going to do? <laughs> but is it, but, it makes it more like, if isn't it like the more you hear, like... Like justifying your own terrible opinions yeah, mm-hmm. by hearing someone more... Powerful and influential say it, yes. Which is why someone like Kevin Spacey, who was this huge figure, he, he was everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yet the fact that he had been, he had been so successful and that, and he abused that success and that influence to uh, commit the, commit these crimes. I guess that I see them as two very different things. Mm. I don't, I don't think Morrissey, firstly, Morrissey saying weird things about Israel. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can equate that to the uh, like the real crimes of Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it was someone who has held those opinions and will do whether or not someone has gone and bought their album or whether or not they've been given the, the opportunity and the privilege to be a, an artist and a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Do you find with... So... For a long time, I've really liked Woody Allen's films. And it's in the same way that you're saying that Morrissey, in his latest album, perhaps, is incorporating some of his opinions into the music. Woody Allen, a lot of his films are about older men dating younger women. And in the example of Manhattan, like very young adolescent girls. At that point, I find him really difficult to separate from yeah. the art because it's, it's in there. Do you not have that with Morrissey or Woody Allen? I think with Morrissey, it's more of like, oh, it's a catchy tune. Rather than something like Woody Allen, whereas you you pick apart his artistry, but I guess there's that. Is Woody Allen, what Woody Allen trying to do? Is he trying to normalise what he has done mm. through his film and using his film as a tool to manipulate, as a tool to to influence and influence for a bad thing? 
he has the privilege of being someone who is famous and is successful and the opportunity to reach many, many people, many, many minds. And if he abuses that and does it in a very, like, palpable way, then I think he should be, he should be held accountable. Whereas someone like Morrissey who has a catchy song and part of the entertainment factor of Morrissey is that he's a prat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's a, there's a very different, uh, there's a clear difference there. But uh, maybe it's one I, I, I think now I'm talking through it, it's probably one I can't quite put my finger on. Mm. Like, it's, it's there. Yeah, I don't know, like Morrissey's last interview was where he was saying that um, halal meat needs to be blessed by a member of ISIS or that, <laughs> like just insane yeah. stuff. Or like he was saying that Sadiq Khan can't speak properly. It's just, it's just vitriolic Islamophobia. And he, he did that same thing with, he takes his vegetarianism, I don't know if he's vegan, but he takes that to such a level where, I, don't, I know he says horrendous things about Chinese people because of the way he perceives they, the way they treat animals. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know. He, he, he's gone from being this angsty young man icon <laughs> to just an angry, bitter old man. <laughs> And I think that's something, that's a transition that we can, we can all notice and relate to. And also we have the tools culturally to deal with because it's what happens to all our fathers <laughs> uh, and will probably happen to us as well. So we can deal with that. We'll deal with like a, a silly old fool making comments. He's all, I mean, he's already cast as a silly old fool. Mm. He has no influence, but the, Big time Hollywood actor who does terrible things. I guess he's got a, he's got a, a a long way to fall. Morris, Morris is probably for a lot of people one of the main cultural icons of Britain, certainly of like the eighties. And I, mean, I guess the, the thing you're saying about um, when your older relatives say something racist, and you sort of oh stupid idiot, we'll just pass that off. And I really, I definitely used to have that opinion, and but I, it was post Brexit when. It seemed like that older generation had voted, yeah, vitriolically, and, and it was that gave me that sense of actually you know, these people. I don't know. I just felt this sense of I couldn't just let these people have these say these things w- without questioning it anymore. Like, and I, I feel like perhaps let's say you've got like a racist uncle, the person who's going to be able to have that conversation with them is going to be you rather yeah. than the person that they're abusing. Well, I guess yeah. Again, I mean, to use it on a very different scale, it's, it's that level of influence you have uh, and that level of privilege we have as maybe, uh, in one respect, we uh, are rarely, as cis white men, uh, rarely ever the rece- on the receiving end of that uh, abuse and, and intolerance and hatred. Mm. And it, usually it's people like us who are giving it out. Mm. But it also means it puts us in a position where we can look someone in the eye and be like, that's not acceptable. Mm. And that's not, you know, that's not appropriate. I, yeah, I guess it's, it, it's a conversation we, we've all had to have since Brexit. But yeah, it's a conversation we've all had to have really with ourselves and probably among our peers. It just says that there is still that un- like really uncomfortable, shameful part of British identity which is very much rooted into our past like colonial times and the you know, the race riots through the 60s to the 80s and um 
it's, yeah, it's still something we're having to come to terms with, yet our generation, who is very much looking to the future and trying to secure a future for ourselves and maybe the next generation, we are still stuck with that generation before us that's very much preserving this idea of Britain that's no longer there. Mm. And it's one that we really want to leave behind. And we, I mean, we're desperate to. Uh, I think it was very clear if you look at the uh, statistics uh, surrounding the age of people who voted uh, leave and who voted remain. That sounded like you were leading into something. It did, didn't it? But I know, I thought that was the end of my... Yeah, so these remarks, I think, I don't think we can, uh, poor phrase to use, but I don't think we can just whitewash over it. It's mm. going to be there, but it's whether we it's, we need to call it out, shine a spotlight on it, or we need to ignore it and hope it goes away. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Reach for the Stars is pretty good, though. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. Well, uh, Reach for the Stars was the classic school disco. <laughs> Getting everyone up. Some some prat would always climb on the chairs and get told to get down. Mm-hmm. I mean, to now move the conversation on to where <laughs> these people are nowadays... Mm-hmm. I think it was around this time last year. No, it was it was June last year. I think that marked the point when my youth, certainly my childhood, you'd hope so, died. <laughs> I went to go to see S Club Seven perform at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Couldn't have been more than 100, 200 people there. If that, actually, there was quite a lot of space. And it had just had this really badly dressed stage with like a gold tinselly curtain <laughs> poor lighting as well and it, of course it wasn't S Club 7 it was S Club 3 oh you actually saw S Club was that when it was just Bradley Joe and Tina yeah Bradley Joe and Tina on stage for all of half an hour <laughs> stretching out their three hit songs that they could remember <laughs> or had the rights to <laughs> it was very peculiar Joe was shadow of her former self mm-hmm. Bradley was fat and Tina, well, actually, you know, Tina looked like she'd been preserved. <laughs> she was like perfect. She, as though she hadn't even aged. Mm. It's like Dorian Gray. <laughs> Except there's like a, maybe like a, a now 69 CD that's getting some more and more scratched as her face gets younger. Yeah, it was really weird to see her. I just thought it was a ghost or a hologram at first. <laughs> but yeah, so I saw them perform there three songs that they graced us with and then we went around the back to sort of wait for them because that's how much of a fangirl I am <laughs> and they were so non-celebrity that they just walked off the stage and out the front door <laughs> so they never even went out the back but it was and then I was like wow me what 15-20 years ago would have gone absolutely wild for this mm-hmm. and now I'm looking back <laughs> looking at them as though you You've gone to visit that cool grandparent you liked in a home who's kind of losing it. (laughs) It's like a little bit of my childhood died as I realised, you know, this is what, this is what happens to things. It's what happens to things that were popular or famous, to things that made me feel good and I thought defined my youth. So what was it actually like watching the performance? I mean, did you have that sensation watching it? Did you just have this twisting knot in your stomach of... It was more, Matt, that this knot in my stomach loosened of course i sang to screamed to uh all the songs and tried to i think i tried to grab joe 
No security, really, either. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that's very telling. <laughs> and they, they left in an Uber. And I believe, and I believe it, was, it was one of those Uber luxury ones. Yeah. Some guys at my work who are, I don't know, 10, 20 years older than me, I think also still go to Steps and S Club gigs. And wow. it's surreal to, because they say that, so obviously, I don't know, when they were like in their teens or in their early 20s, they would go out and those would be the songs playing in clubs, which just sounds like the craziest thing to me. I just can't envision that being, because it's, it's so, in my head, such like a children's... What about, like, what if the music we, we value now, I'm really, I'm really conscious now of, of who I now say music I value, but like... <laughs> I can't even name name <laughs> Like I really value Frank Ocean mm-hmm. as a musician and an artist. Actually, no, maybe it's not the same though. Or maybe like Zayn Malik, mm-hmm. or like one of the One Direction guys' new singles or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've all got something out now. Are we going to look back on that, or I? Or maybe the next generation going to look back on those in a couple of decades' time with that same sort of bemused, mocking, semi-appreciation that we now look back on things like Spandau Ballet, mm. Duran Duran, or even things like much later, like people are looking at Steps and S Club. Mm. Well, so I went to go and see ABC and they performed Look of Love in their set and as their encore. And they tried to play some songs off their new album, which no one was into. But I think the distinction with that was looking around the audience. My friend and I were the only people who, who weren't there at the time. And All right. it, it felt like a much more case of them wanting to take a trip down memory lane or to sort of relive that moment. While if you went to I don't know, a Rolling Stones gig, you'd have people across generations going to that because the music is of a quality which it'll last. Yeah, and- it's, it's iconic. And it ha- you're right, it does have that, that lasting legacy and that, that, that reach across all ages. I mean, do you still, do you ever listen to S Club now? I mean, you went to the gig. I mean, what question, what fa- what possessed you to go to the gig? Well, I'm not really sure how much of this was me pretending was my reason. Like, even now, I don't know. That's how disconnected I am from my internal workings. But I don't know whether it was partly nostalgia, partly as a joke, like in an ironic way, or partly because I actually really, really wanted to see S Club. Mm. Like maybe relive that feeling that I had as a child. Uh, I was sorely disappointed on probably all three of those reasons. So when you said Rachel Stevens, one of the first things that I remembered was a sex education lesson at school <laughs> in which they showed us a video where Rachel Stevens tells you how to check for testicular cancer. I seem, yeah, I, I seem to remember this. It was, again, that time was really odd. Like, why would you need to sexualize checking for cancer mm. to get men to feel their own <laughs> genitalia, yeah. which they probably do every day? Mm-hmm. You still have to... It's like, they might as well have just said, check your balls, hashtag no homo. That would be, that would be yeah. today's equivalent. Yeah. Having to get a sex icon to show you how to check your own testicles. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem gay that you're touching your own balls. Because <laughs> she's, I think she has plums and she's sort of like doing the actions, but I think she might be wearing lingerie. And then the bit that, I, that stayed with me was at the end, she goes something like, oh, that wasn't hard. Oh, I see it is. 
You see, that didn't stay with me, maybe. <laughs> the reason, well, the reason why it stayed with me is because there was a guy in my class. Because you, you got hard. <laughs> <laughs> because there was a guy in the class who kind of went, oh, he made some sort of like, or something, just to show that he got the joke. And I remember thinking like, it's not a sophisticated joke. Like, we all understood it. You didn't have to. Uh, so, you didn't have to aggressively assert your heterosexuality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, like, you're checking to see if you've got a disease that might kill you. Mm-hmm. Why has it been sexualized? Is but, it that difficult to get men to? But maybe it is. Like, I guess there must have been some research that was done that showed that not, not enough men were checking for testicular cancer. And if she was, I don't know what timeline this is, but if she was FHM's sexiest woman and this was deemed, because clearly, like, although I think it stayed with me because of the irritation of that guy saying something. Yeah. It stayed in my memory. I couldn't remember any of the technique that she told you about holding it between your particular fingers. What do you do? Just like, just a general sort of like, put two hands together like sandpaper. <laughs> Just wring them out. <laughs> but if Rachel Stevens hosting a video like that gets it across to more men, which it no doubt did, then mm-hmm. surely that can only be a good thing. Mm. I don't know. Maybe the, the, video, uh, the video is like symptomatic of a larger issue, but it's exploiting that for good. Yeah. I mean, even chauvinist pigs get cancer. Yeah. So... If it's you know it's a way to get it get it to more people yeah uh, and just explore uh, yeah it's just exploiting that and I because I remembered watching it as a kid I thought it was going to be something where I'd have to really search for that video but I think if you type Rachel Stevens into YouTube it's like the third video that comes up <laughs> so people are still watching that video yeah. however many years later well there's there's another out recently by Nivea uh, it's about you know the UK's first men's body shaving range mm-hmm. and rather than I mean. Lots of men now sculpt their bodies and, and shave their chests. It's not, it's not as it used to be. It used to be a very specific type of man, mm. inverted commas. But they've used, I think they've got, <laughs> it's very telling, <laughs> some footballers, <laughs> don't know who they are, in the shower room, <laughs> naked from the waist down, we can assume, all of them failing to shave their chest, apparently. In front of this critical audience, like Sky Sports people and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's one guy who uses this new sh- um, Nivea shaving gel, whatever it is, and can successfully shave. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like football, a football team, hyper-masculine men doing something that has for a long time not really been perceived as masculine, as a manly pursuit. It's not necessarily male grooming, mm-hmm. rather body grooming in, in, in that respect. But now... It's had to be packaged in this very heteronormative or hyper-heteronormative masculine way for, even now, to, to get like men to buy it and mm. get men to not feel embarrassed about going, picking up shaving gel to shave their chest. Mm. Yeah, and so all the, the range of all the products have such masculine names like Bulldog or Lynx. So it's yeah. kind of like you have to really take it up to the max. And I was watching a, a football match recently and... The, <laughs> the commentators were talking about how just how cold they were and how freezing they were. And then a football player came on the pitch and he was tackled and fell over. And one of the commentators said something on the lines of them, I think what's more distressing is the fact that he's wearing tights. And it's just like, you've got, I don't know, a footballer, one, an athlete who on a cold day is wearing tights. I mean, yeah. if you, if you're that uncomfortable with their tights, call them leggings. <laughs> but like, it seems such a moment of, yeah, the commentator being so insecure of his masculinity, the idea that you would even wear tights was abhorrent. Like masculinity, uh, this is nothing new. And I mean, it's the same old stuff, but 
is so fragile. And I think Rachel Stevens, in her fame and her allure, knew just where the cracks were. But if she, I don't know, because she was like the FHM sexist woman and rear of the year I think, <laughs> I think there was a guy who won it the same year and it was, wasn't someone I was expecting it wasn't Ali Jones but it, was some, <laughs> but it was someone like Ali Jones but as you say she didn't convert that into a successful pop career like, I don't know how much money she got off FHM and all that kind of stuff but while she broke out I think she she, she only succeeded by comparison to everyone else yeah so while she may have she may have attempted to exploit those cracks. I don't know how successful she was in it. I guess looking back on her career, it was always men paying the revenues, men calling the shots. She was probably managed, produced by men as well, as, it, as is often the case. Mm-hmm. So really, is it her exploiting those that the fragility, or is it other men mm. exploiting her? Um, so she won Rear of the Year the same year as Russell Watson. Who's Russell Watson? <laughs> um, that guy. But quite tellingly, on the... This he looks is, like a home invader. <laughs> but on the Telegraph website, they're both turning away from camera doing the um, head over the shoulder. But you can see her rear. His is cut off by the, uh, the bottom of the photo. So even though, as a, a man who's got the Rear of the Year, he's still not even allowed <laughs> to show it. Yeah. He's still not allowed to objectify that really actually i saw an interesting video from i think feminist frequency and they were talking about how in video games if you have the first person you know and you can i don't know no third person where you can see the character in front of you yeah if you have a female protagonist great efforts will be made so that the butt moves in a certain way and that you always <laughs> that's where your eyes are drawn but if you have a male character they'll go to the utmost length so you never see their butt it says like <laughs> male butts just can't exist <laughs> like, i think it's the, they think they try to do it and they try to turn him at a certain angle and the game almost crashed. <laughs> to, to get a good look at your male character, the game just cr- would, would rather crash than <laughs> let you see it. Have you even told me what the appeal... I kept asking what the appeal was, but I still feel like I haven't, you were talking from like a general, I think this was the appeal that she had, but for you as an individual, can you recognise what that was now looking back? No. It's very hard to separate now my interpretation of what I felt from my actual experience mm. of it. I think maybe it was more that I admired Rachel Stevens and her overt sexual power rather than anything else. I don't know. It's probably something I should have thought about before this podcast. <laughs> and I guess... So you're saying her as your like first crush, like how did that manifest itself? Was it a case of, were you interested in her private life? Were you it was or was it just like listening to the music? Yeah, listening to music. I even I think I even had like a poster of her at one point. Oh. I'd I'd read like those pre teen magazines, like pop magazines about her. Mm-hmm. You know, you do those like personality quizzes and always lie and get the Rachel Stevens <laughs> one. I guess it's just everyone had their favourite, the one which they identified with the most. Mm. And I think, probably because I wasn't like the other boys, maybe, and probably was quite secretly, I did more associate with and, and kind of see more of myself in the character of Rachel. But I really don't know why, because, I mean... I was like, what, 
10. <laughs> I was like a sexual being at the age of 10. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know what it was. Mm. But I think there's something about her that she, she was like not overtly rebellious and brash like someone like Joe. Mm-hmm. But she had this air about her where she was always slightly removed from every, from the rest of the gang. She mm. had potential that the rest of the gang didn't. And she was always, yeah, she was more desirable as well. Yeah, I guess, as I was saying at school, how when she became more sexual, everyone was talking about her at school and how fit she was. And I just hadn't gone through puberty, didn't feel that way towards anyone. But I think I always had this sense that everyone was pretending to like Rachel Stevens. And I think that is still... okay. Actually, I know my answer to this. Okay. I've probably written it, and I'm going to steal your what where you were going. Okay. Looking back, I don't think I ever really did have a crush on Rachel Stevens. I think I made her my first crush because all the other boys liked Rachel Stevens. Really, I didn't desire her in that way. I think I just wanted to be like her, and that's quite sad to think about. What? How so? Because. Something like your first crush, the first memory of someone you've had like desire for, almost like your first fantasy. I felt that I never really had that. I was kind of robbed of it and I had to pretend to have one. And even now when I look back, it's still stuck in my mind, you know, as my first crush. And it would immediately be like, oh, I think it was Rachel Stevens. Yeah, and that's quite, that's quite sad. How, looking back at that, kind of lost, vulnerable young boy who was so desperate to fit in with everyone else. He probably convinced himself that it, that he did like Rachel Stevens to appear normal. But maybe really what I wanted to do was just dress in Rachel Stevens' clothes <laughs> and lip sync to Sweet Dreams by LAX, mm. which I've done my fair share of times now, but... I believe you were going to bring up a point about people pretending to like Rachel Stevens. Yeah, I don't know. I guess because at school, I think at that age, no one knew their sexuality, but people would be picked on if they weren't straight. Yeah. And so it was a case of really hammering down on Rachel Stevens because she was perceived as being the attractive one. And I remember at school, I had one where my friends were trying to like get at me like which of the girls at school do you like which schools do you like and my friends were sort of like no Matt really likes Jennifer Garner and I was sort of like who uh, is Jennifer Garner a real girl <laughs> she's an actress oh right sorry I thought you just you just mentioned some <laughs> poor girl no the, um, she was on in um, 13 going on 30 no it was did you relate like, to that film yeah but um, yeah and I, I remember sort of not in an asexual way but really hammering down on that just to make everyone shut up and go away and I just, I don't know, I don't really have a point. No, I, I think you bring up a good point there. Like, looking back, all the boys were like, oh, yeah, Rachel Stevens. Maybe they were just actually parroting what their own fathers were saying, mm. who were, you know, themselves only finding Rachel desirable because she was the only one that was remotely accessible and the one that was okay to like. Mm. I mean, you couldn't like Joe, <laughs> that square jaw. <laughs> I just feel like... Tina and Hannah were better looking than Rachel. Hannah? Yeah, Hannah. No? But Hannah and Tina, they just didn't have that... They, they, that wasn't their role as part of S Club. And in the series, I don't think it really was either. 
Hannah had, like, she had a, I think she she had a boyfriend in the series. You met a boyfriend. I thought Paul was, was not Paul her, supposed to be her boyfriend in the series? Yeah, they, they had a relationship. And in real life, they had a relationship as well. Um, but I don't think they were ever, like, properly, like, Tina, I think, was always quite positioned as quite the innocent, young, naive one. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like the baby spice. Mm-hmm. Whereas Hannah was, like, this, you know, cheeky, little bit of a tomboy uh, whereas Rachel was just cast in this almost like a romantic lead or the the, the object of desire. That was her role mm. to be the the sexy girly girl. Mm. So I guess to wrap up, if Paul's getting down on the floor, then what's Hannah doing? What does Hannah do? She call out for more or something like yeah, that. I think it's Hannah screaming out for more, screaming which sounds more, more sexually explicit than I remembered it being. Rachel's doing her thing. I remember that. I thought it was Bradley who did his thing. Oh, crap. What's Rachel it, I thought doing? Rachel was singing. Rachel, want to see Rachel sing. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. I want to see Bradley... What is Bradley's no. thing? want to see Bradley sing. want to do Rachel do her thing. Then we've got Joe. She got the flow. Obviously. The flow of... <laughs> the, the flow of racial abuse that's going out of her mouth. <laughs> and then we've got Tina. What? Tina... Looking for romance. That's right. And inexplicably not ageing a day. <laughs> there was another, wasn't there? John. John. What's wrong with John? <laughs> well, we all know what's wrong with John. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep any of this in. Of course you can. <laughs> Just put a little disclaimer at the beginning. 